This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Wildcatters? It's been a hell of a week for us. If you didn't know already, we launched another podcast with the one and only Chuck Gates. You know, the guy who famously got canned from Kane Anderson early this year. His first few episodes are absolutely hilarious, so go check it out. It's the Chuck Yates Needs a Job podcast. But back to our show, there's a whole lot more and more startup incubators and accelerators popping up, especially here in Houston. So our buddy Scott Gale with Halliburton Labs dropped by to school us up on why Halliburton is jumping on the bandwagon and launching their own accelerator and what really sets them apart. So let us know what you think about this episode, guys. And now for the TPH Energy Insight of the Week. What's going on, guys? So what do companies like Nikola, Virgin Galactic, DraftKings, and Helion all have in common? They're some of the hottest SPAC companies right now. But the question that we want to talk about today is what is a SPAC and how does it affect energy tech? Colin, what is a SPAC, dude? Yes, I don't want to butcher this definition, but... What SPAC stands for is Special Purpose Acquisition Company, and essentially it's a new way to take your company public instead of going through an IPO, through an initial public offering. And so you might hear these referred to as reverse mergers or blank check companies. And essentially the premise is, is that you'll have someone go raise a fund and they'll file an S1 filing, take this fund public and say it's a $200 million fund. And the fund doesn't actually own a company. It's just a shell company. And they go out and they try to find target companies that they can acquire. So, you know, say that it's a Hillion out of Austin. You know, Hillion did a SPAC. And I think that I can't remember how much capital that they raised from it, but this fund raised all this capital. Then they go and identify Hillion as a potential target for acquisition. They end up acquiring Hillion and then reverse merging, merging it into this public entity. And then Hillion actually ends up taking over that ticker and you can go and buy shares of that company. So it's all the, uh, it's the new craze. I think that we've seen, I think more than 80 of them have popped up in 2020. And so there's a lot of talk around them, especially out in Silicon Valley. And it's actually something that oil and gas isn't that foreign to. There've been a lot of SPACs in the oil and gas space here over the last couple of years. So it's definitely a trend that, you know, I don't know if it's sustainable or if it'll, it'll stay, but right now it's the, it's the talk of the market. Yeah, I'm kind of unsure as to why they're becoming so popular, but we've seen a huge decline in kind of like late stage growth capital and that private equity kind of buyout uh, portion of the market. And it seems like these guys have replaced that. And so, I mean, it seems to be an easier, faster way to IPO. It's not new. Actually, I, I thought this was some kind of like new vehicle, but it's actually been around since the 80s. And yeah, so they've, they just they've recently been used. repurposed it. Yeah, they've been used in oil and gas. And it's funny now you got oil and gas. Uh, you know, I think the uh, the Rice brothers, Danny Rice, just launched a $200 million spec. And I think they have a focus on uh, clean tech and ESG initiative driven companies. And so they're really just kind of starting to gain steam. And I think, you know, one reason is, is because there's a lot of money to be made, right? Especially if you're putting the fund together, uh, you know, you have some people in Silicon Valley, you put up $100 million, you go and raise the fund, you get all this promote and this equity from the startups, and it's very lucrative. And that's where some of the, uh, you know, that's where some of the 
negative feedback is from the market is that these things are, you know, really kind of designed to make the fund managers money and then just dump the bags on the retail market. So we'll see if they end up holding up for retail investors over time and if it's something actually lucrative and worth investing in. Yeah, I hope this doesn't become like the uh, the ICO craze 2.0, but if it if it goes the way that it continues to go, I foresee being really popular. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of media specs out there right now, so hopefully someone will come cut a, a check for digital wildcatters. <laughs> <laughs> so go check out TPH's Energy Tech newsletter and be on the lookout for the disruption conference this December. We'll definitely be there. Uh, we're talking about that a lot, and let's get right back into the episode. What's up, wildcatters? Welcome back to another show. What's going on, Colin? Oh, nothing much, man. Just another day of podcasting. So. We've got one. I mean, this one's been in the works for like a month now, month and a half. So I'm excited to get it going. We got Scott Gale from Halliburton Labs. How you doing, man? Doing well. Good. good Somebody who's finally got a better podcast voice than me, man. I, mean, I know. Well, so here's the thing. Scott, yeah. I mean, he's a professional uh, voice. Is a voiceover. Voice actor. Yeah, yeah, voice actor. Yeah, so the first time I met you or talked to you on the phone, you told me that. And I was like, well, now I feel like you're going to judge me on my podcasting voice. <laughs> so I'll give you some notes when we're done. Yeah, yeah absolutely. So, yeah. And then we we're also laughing before we started the podcast. So, so we came and visited Halliburton labs, took a tour of the campus right. uh, a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And Scott gave us uh, some swag, some Halliburton lab shirts. And I think I've worn it for like two of the last podcasts. So I'm going to have to start charging uh, Scott and Halliburton for the promotion of <laughs> Halliburton labs. It's the only shirt that fits Colin with his post-COVID weight. Yeah. Don't <laughs> <laughs> right. fit any of Depends my clothes. Depends on your fitness level. Yeah, Colin, yeah, what the price is gonna be. yeah. <laughs> Might need to get like a couple different sizes in the Halliburton Labs shirt. So, Scott, let's talk about Halliburton Labs a little bit at a high level. Um, you know, you guys are an incubator and... You know, I think that there's a lot of a lot of different angles that we can take this conversation. Um, you know, people obviously know who Halliburton is, what Halliburton has done previously, but I really like what Halliburton Labs is doing and how forward thinking you guys are and how you're looking at technologies that, you know, aren't just oil and gas technologies. So why don't you give us the high level overview of what uh, Halliburton Labs is? why it was created and what you guys are doing. And then, you know, I want to talk about your background as well. So, you know, just kick it off and tell us what is Halliburton Labs. Sure. Yeah. Happy to. And again, appreciate the opportunity to be on, hang out with you guys for a little bit. Yeah. Um, the roots of the development of Halliburton Labs go back about a year and a half, two years ago. And kind of during that time, investigating a number of different things, different models, but there was a deliberate effort to do some background research on how other companies, industrial companies kind of addressed the, the big challenge of innovation. And so uh, just one example, a book called The Idea Factory that mm -hmm. kind of detailed kind of the, the, the history of Bell Labs mm -hmm. and their approach and thought process and what was successful and what didn't and what was sort of applicable today and what that might look like. And so we actually draw a lot of parallels to kind of the Bell Labs story to some of our foundational thinking around building Halliburton Labs. Certainly looked at other examples um, that, are, that are out there kind of in history, some that didn't work out well and some that did. And so really trying to kind of go back and do that fundamental research and then say, okay, what do we have as Halliburton that's distinctive and unique that we could bring. And some of the things that we discovered as well along the way is 
particularly for what we'll term kind of tangible tech, you know, material science, hardware, chemistry, these kinds of things, there's a gap in the entrepreneurial ecosystem for support. And so that all kind of led to this model, which is, yeah, nearest akin to kind of a startup incubator or accelerator that uh, allows us to kind of bring Halliburton's capabilities to bear on behalf of uh, an early stage company. And mm-hmm. so uh, the model looks and feels like a startup accelerator. We take a small percent of equity, um, no strings attached in the sense of uh, no rofers or board seats or IP entanglements, whatever the company invents while they're with us belongs to them. It comes in the form of a modified safe. And so mm-hmm. uh, really try and create as sort of low friction of a transaction as possible and really focused on building this environment where these early stage companies can be successful. So the way that I like to summarize it, it's like putting an industrial wrapper around an early stage company for 12 months. Yeah. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're solving for investing in this environment that is intended to be kind of this crossroads between the industrial capabilities that Halliburton have, the entrepreneur, the investor community, as well as the academic community. When we were touring the facility, I think one of the the things that we talked about a lot um, while we were there was that, you know, a lot of the technologies that we showcase are, they've been digital, right? And you can get a couple developers and you could spin something up. However, a bulk of the technologies, I mean, you've seen a lot of stuff out in the field, stuff downhole, it's stuff that you can't just code up. It's stuff that's extremely, uh, you know, capital intensive. It's stuff that, uh, you know, may require a lab, things of that nature. And with the facilities that you guys showed, I mean, it's like, it's amazing what you guys are giving some of these startups because think of all the new things that can be invented and the new startups can be started if they had just a little bit of help. Like, you know, those facilities is like huge. It's like a pretty much like a city, right? Well, I think what's cool about Halliburton Labs is that, you know, I, I'm pretty sure I've seen other like incubators and accelerators that will have labs in their name, but it's just, you know, co-working space for digital startups. But what's cool sure. about y'all is like, it's literally labs. You go in there yeah. and there's science labs in the building and you have, I mean, just, I don't even know how, how much capital you guys have invested in the equipment in those laboratories, billions but, and billions <laughs> and billions yeah, but I mean, they're nice facilities. Right. And then, you know, we took a tour around Halliburton campus and I mean, it one, it was cool. You know, I'm walking around and I'm seeing, you know, downhole uh, motors and, and tools. I'm like, Hey, I know those, I've ran those before. And so it was cool, you know, seeing where they were manufactured, but you know, just having all of that, um, you know, having all those facilities and resources. And then you guys also dedicate, you know, technical expertise, engineering uh, resources to these startups. So I think that that's really important um, because, you know, when you're in energy, there are so many high barrier startups where you need access. You know, you guys have a, so you just launched several months ago officially and you have your first company in Halliburton Labs. Remind me of the name real quick. It slipped my mind. Nanotech. Nanotech, yeah. yeah. And so Nanotech, you know, they've, um, they have this, is it fair to describe it as an insulation, insulation, like a fireproofing insulation? It's one of the main products that they have. I think of them as a material science company. Okay. So they're they're formulating a lot of different things. They're they're specialized materials formulatable into epoxies, into polymers. They're developing a drywall version of it, and so yeah. uh, it's definitely one of the things that uh, attracted us to them, and vice versa, was that they're an energy conservation 
game changer. Yeah. And so it's interesting there because you look at it, you know, these guys were cooking this up in their garage in their neighborhood, breaking bad style, you know, <laughs> just, you know, who, who knows what chemistry is going on there. And then you the guys, HOA was calling. Yeah. HOA, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, my HOA gets pissed off if I'm making a, a workbench out in the driveway, you know, so I'm sure that, uh, their HOA wasn't happy with them, but you guys come in and say, Hey, look, you know, we're going to give you the facilities to really commercialize the product and do testing. And, you know, you're going to have the office space, you know, the lab. You can have technical expertise. And so there's a ton of value add there. You know, I think you use that term, putting this industrial wrapper around the technology and helping them to commercialize it and actually take it to the market. I think that that's really valuable. And if you look at a lot of incubators and accelerators, sometimes it's questionable, you know, giving away equity in your company, you know, is there really a fair value trade there? But here it seems to make a lot of sense. Yeah, and it's, it's great that you guys have had the opportunity to see it because one of the challenges, cer- certainly in kind of the COVID environment, people aren't traveling as much and having conversations. I mean, in the last 24 hours, I've talked to two or three companies, one in the Pacific Northwest, one out of MIT. And because the model is unique and when they hear accelerator, ex- exactly what you described, Colin, they, they have sort of this mentality of what that looks and feels like. And so there's conversations about like, well, what, what kind of, what does that access really look like? And what does that mean? And once they get it, it's becomes a no brainer in mm-hmm. terms of thinking about their experience and where they're going and what their journey looks like. Cause it's not just access to the facilities, which are world-class facilities, mm-hmm. um, setting up shop in a world-class lab. But then it, like we walked through the, you know, the, the hallway underneath is, uh, multi-million tens of millions of dollars worth of analytical equipment that Mm -hmm. is available to the extent that they they need to use it we we cover uh, an overhead charge sort of a cross charge that comes across but it's a small fraction of what you might pick up at a third-party lab or something along those lines but then you also have the technical mentorship so we've had some conversations with nanotech around best practices on design of experiment for example and some kind of basic things that we're sort of used to in kind of corporate innovation and things that we deal with all the time and people that are professional in that and 30 minute conversation, I think with the right person at Halliburton, whether that's from a technical perspective, whether that's logistics or procurement or HR or some other support function can save an early stage company Mm -hmm. months and months of headache and hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. And so, you know, a comment that I made to a company this morning was, you know, you're an early stage company you guys are first time founders, you don't know what you're going to encounter. You probably have line of sight to the next maybe three months or six months clarity of what you're going to go execute, but you're going to run into things that you didn't anticipate. Six months seems like a long time. (laughs) Six months is forever. (laughs) It's an eternity in the startup world. And so they're saying, yeah, well, the thing that you're dealing with for the first time, we've dealt with at Halliburton 50 times over. Mm -hmm. We've got a ton of scar tissue. I joke about taking (laughs) hardware to scale around the world. Yeah. And so that's something that we're offering is those kind of curated engagements, that mentorship. Yeah. Again, we're not solving their, their problems for them. It's not our job to discover for them, mm-hmm. uh, but we can provide sort of that back, that backstop that yeah. as they run into issues and have questions, they can go talk to somebody immediately. And actually our commitment is a 48 hour turnaround time to be able to have that discussion. Oh, nice. And so, I recognize that there's mentorship and advisors and things in the in the startup world. We recognize that and we continue to lean on kind of our extended network. But it's something that to have sort of access to the Halliburton Rolodex 
I think is a compelling aspect of, of participation. Yeah. Let's talk about your background a little bit personally. Um, you know, I, I find it interesting because usually, you, you know, if you're a startup and you hear oh, Halliburton standing up Halliburton labs, you know, you kind of get, it's like, oh, you know, another corporation is, you know, starting up an initiative and, you know, they may not do anything. You know, I'm not going to name names of other companies that have this reputation, but what I found really interesting, you know, we've spent a lot of time together over the last month, month and a half, you know, just having conversations and, you know, always really enjoy them. But I think the reason that I enjoy them is because you're very forward thinking yourself. And what I think is interesting is that you understand the uh, nuances of what comes, you know, with a corporate initiative like this and you understand what startups need and um, really, you know, putting it together to where um, the corporate oversight isn't a huge hindrance to the startups that are coming into Halliburton Labs. So I think it's important to talk about that angle and kind of your background. You know, I think one thing that was interesting that you told me is that, um, you said something along the lines of, you know, all the jobs that you've ever had, you know, never, never existed until you took them. So let's talk about your background. Um, you know, what took you to Halliburton? What'd you do at Halliburton? What'd you do before that in, in oil and gas? And, you know, just dive into that a bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's right. I mean, all the jobs that I've had sort of, uh, from a, after my undergrad degree didn't exist until I stepped into them. And that's been a, <laughs> Uh, a, a really huge blessing in terms of sort of the the learning experiences and you just sort of my very first boss told me to get comfortable with being uncomfortable and that's mm -hmm. just sort of been something that's a, kind of a, a hallmark of of my career of just managing and dealing with uncomfortable things i also joke that halliburton's the youngest company that i've worked for um, <laughs> and it's it's something that i've i've learned a lot in terms of and i've always been kind of at that intersection of technology and trying to find a commercial application for that technology. And so I've, I've and I'm actually sort of just as an aside, I have a, a, I'm really passionate about industrial history. It's like, seems like the most boring thing, but all of them, like the, my the books that I read and stuff are about like the chemical industry in the 1850s. Yeah. And stuff. I mean, you told us a fun fact there at Halliburton campus, you know, the rumor was that Halliburton invented four wheel drive and I never heard <laughs> that before. And I was like, that, that's interesting. So right. I, I could see, you you know, kind of being a history buff when it comes to industrial tech. <laughs> I just think it's fascinating because it's sort of, there's a lot of things that we look at and are solving for in this day and age. And we think that they're unique problems, but how many times sort of over the decades that that's uh, that that's played out. But um, so that, that sort of intersection of, of technology and how that comes about and how innovation is thought through. And, and so you're sort of battling this, uh, this kind of corporate mentality is, is something that, um, I've, I've worked through in my career and, and corporates have this huge advantage of being incumbent, having access to a lot of resources. And, and there's, there's just a, a, a lot of things that sort of advantages that come with that. And so taking technology uh, to market has always been sort of a passion. If you were to ask me, you know, the classic like third grade question of what do you want to be when you grow up? The answer for me was always I wanted to be in an inventor mm -hmm. and was always tinkering with stuff and getting myself in trouble. Um, and I grew up in a small paper mill town on the Columbia River up in the Pacific Northwest. So technically a suburb of Portland, Oregon. And a little paper mill was built there in the late 1800s and was providing paper for the Oregonian newspaper. And uh, I grew up there my whole life. And it was 
pretty simple. There were more kind of industry there, but it was, you were either a lumberjack or you were a chemical engineer that worked at the plant and, or at the mill. And that was sort of, I didn't know what chemical engineers did, but at a very early age, I had this connection that if I wanted to be involved in inventing, that engineering would be a thing. So I declared my major as a chemical engineer and uh, went to Brigham Young. And I really didn't like chemical engineering, <laughs> admittedly. <laughs> it was super tough. And it was after every semester, I was like, is this really what I want to do? Yeah. Um, but I was, it, it was hard and I was committed to it. And so uh, worked my way through it. But my first role out of college was uh, with Dow Chemical and they had this program where they take engineering undergrads and they put them through what I sort of joke is boot camp for sales and they turn you into a B2B chemical salesperson and it was uh, a perfect fit for me. And uh, so from there, I really haven't looked back. And what was interesting is it was kind of around the time, you know, I, I, I finished my undergrad in 2009. So it was coming out of um, financial crisis. It was mm -hmm. literally a week after my first day on the job. Uh, if you look back, that was a time that Dow Chemical had merged with Roman Haas and there was a lot of restructuring that was happening and a large five digit number of jobs were released about a week after I started. And that embedded in me sort of this mentality that there's nothing for, that uh, is given in, in this space. And so um, really focused on that. And, but at that same time, kind of that 2010, 2011 timeframe, hydraulic fracturing in North America was really starting to get legs. Mm -hmm. And around that time, Dow was uh, really interested in moving because they're a large multinational, lots of different applications to build your career at Dow, you've got to move into different business segments. So they wanted me to leave the oil and gas business and go move into a plastics role. And it's like, I have no passion to uh, build plastic cups. That plastic just, seems boring. <laughs> it, was, it was really interesting, high volume. There was some interesting aspects about it. But for me at that time, I really had my sights set on hydraulic fracturing. Mm -hmm. And so that's what I was solving for throughout my career. And so uh, was lucky enough that the role that I vacated before stepping into this role, I was managing Halliburton's global frac strategy. And cool. so for me, that was the the top of the heap of what I had sort of set out to do in those early days. And so the opportunity to kind of pivot out of frack and, and jump into um, helping to, to build and put Halliburton Labs on the map has just been fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, you come from the pressure pumping role, um, managing frack strategy for Halliburton. Obviously, that was, you know, booming business over the last 10 years. So I'm sure you were extremely uh, busy with that. And then, um, you know, obviously uh, frack spreads have just, frack spreads recounts, everything have just been crushed here lately. So I'm sure it's still, whoever's doing that now still has an interesting job, you know, trying to navigate their way through the downturn. <laughs> it, is, it is. So it's a great um, team there. Yeah. Um, you know, when you were on the pressure pumping side, you know, were you looking at new technologies and uh, new things that you could do in fracking or was it more so from a business development role of, you know, how you guys could get more fleets out there? Yeah, the role I was in was we call it a strategic business manager. So it's a global strategy manager and it's uh, had ownership of the technology portfolio that 
is applied. I joke that I sort of managed everything that Halliburton didn't drive away with after a job. Yeah. And so <laughs> that had to do with our fluid systems. It had to do with downhole diagnostics and had uh, built and worked with the team that uh, basically used downhole fiber optic cables, bring that data to surface real time and plug it into the control system of a frack spread mm -hmm. to sort of simplify it so that you could automate a frack job yeah. based off of real time downhole insight. Yeah. You know, I, I just find it interesting because you see firsthand, I mean, if you look at frack technology over the last decade, I mean, it's nothing short of amazing the technological advances that we've had in horizontal drilling and completions sure. over the last decade. And, you know, being in Halliburton in this position, I'm sure you saw, you know, how intense it is on the capital side and R&D to get products designed and get them deployed out into a commercial use case. So, um, you know, I'm sure that experience helps you carry it over to Halliburton Labs when you're talking to these other tech companies. You're like, OK, look, this is what it actually takes to get something built and deployed and into a customer's hands. So, cause Absolutely. I mean, just think about walking up the stairs, right? So you, you walk into the campus with the technology center, I think is where we're at. And you walk up the stairs and you look on the left and just up the entire wall are patent numbers. And what Scott was telling us was that they actually had to stop putting the patent numbers on there because they had too many patents. So I imagine <laughs> not enough, that not enough walls to, to kind of add on to what you said, but think about it. Like, like you're, you're vetting companies and you're like, Oh, I'm doing this kind of thing. And you're like, Oh, let's go back into the archives. Yeah. We tried that 20 years ago and it didn't work for this, this, and this, and this, and this reason, but maybe some things have kind of evolved since then. You know, you guys, I mean, you're Halliburton, right? You've been around for like how many years? Like hundred years? hundred years. We celebrated a hundred years last year. So yeah. we're working on our next hundred. Yeah. So, you know, speaking of that, you know, like the future of Halliburton, where you guys are going, I think it's interesting kind of the thesis behind Halliburton Labs, because, you know, you look at uh, current portfolio companies that you have, and I think I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast, but you guys aren't just focused on oil and gas, um, you know, talk about the thesis behind the companies and technologies that you're actually looking to bring under the Halliburton Labs umbrella. Yeah. Yeah. Happy to. I think, you know, for, for us, we're deliberately looking and it's, it's actually a bit counterintuitive, but we're looking for companies that are working on things and solving problems that are outside of what Halliburton's run rate business is working on today. Mm -hmm. And so that actually, in terms of the range of applications is really pretty broad, looking at things from power generation, fuel sources to energy distribution, energy storage, things around kind of greening the grid, looking at energy conservation, kind of like we talked about with nanotech. And then even things like in the circular economy more broadly. So taking waste materials and turning them into useful raw materials. Um, and so uh, really a very broad range of applications. The, the, scale, the, the scope of the participant companies and sort of where they're at in their stage and journey uh, is, a, is relatively narrow. They, they need to be market ready. Mm -hmm. you know, they got to have a, a, a proof of concept done. It's not just an idea on the back of a napkin. It's got to be it's got to demonstrate that it's not breaking the laws of physics or something, that it's got some potential. Um, and they, we'd like them to be sort of pursuing their first institutional fundraise. And so they're, they're generally at or near first revenue. And so kind of that seed to series A kind of bridge is, mm -hmm. is where we're targeting. Do you want it already to be field tested or no? Uh, it doesn't have to be, um, okay. but the, that they're sort of actively working to take that step, that yep. they're getting to kind of that that 
MVP that they're, mm-hmm. they know what they're going to go take to scale. So for you guys, um, you know, when you're looking at these companies, I think that that was really good, you know, for any startups that are listening and, you know, seeing if Halliburton Labs is maybe a fit for them. What I find interesting, though, is, you know, you guys, I think you see a lot of incubators and accelerators. They're thriving in doing this remote just because of, you know, the conditions that we've had with quarantine and COVID. Like it's really pushed everyone to this digital model. Whereas you guys, I mean, any startup that you're working with, I mean, the whole value proposition is like, look, we got physical lab space that you can be working in. So are you guys bullish on the idea that a lot of these companies that you find are going to be Houston based or are you searching for companies, you know, all over the U.S., all over the world and hoping that they'll come into Houston, you know, move operations here for a uh, opportunity to work with Halliburton Labs? Yeah, I mean, we cast our net pretty broadly. I'm having conversations with the Israeli ecosystem, the New Zealand, Brazil, Canada, the UK. Yeah. Halliburton's a global company. And so yeah. we've got a footprint in lots of different places around the world. Our beachhead is certainly here in Houston for Halliburton Labs. Um, it's, it really is our starting point. But what I found in those conversations and talking to startups that are in lots of different countries that are solving energy problems, they know they need to get to Houston at some point. That's and interesting. So it's on their yeah. radar. And what what that that means is they're looking for low friction ways to to get a footprint in Houston. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that's something that um, I think is compelling in terms of kind of what Halliburton Labs might be able to offer is if, if, if they're ready to, and, and that also doesn't have to be a different country. I mean, I was having a conversation with a group out of uh, MIT and they're thinking about the same thing. They've got a few more things they've got to solve, but then they're going to be ready to, to pack up and they know they need to get to Houston. Their target customer base is here. And so it, it really, it, it's really, really interesting to hear that. And, you know, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about the ecosystem, the tech ecosystem in Houston and, you know, not to beat a dead horse, but we've talked about this several times on the show, but I just think Houston is a very special place with some of the smartest people in the world. Um, you have the technical talent you have, you know, just like you said, you know, you have startups saying we need to get to Houston. That's where our client base is. And, you know, we talk about the ecosystem that's being built, you know, digital wildcatters here, you know, highlighting startups and, you know, being a connector, Halliburton Labs, you know, you're starting to see, I would say, very solid pieces of the puzzle, you know, coming together and putting together this ecosystem. You know, give us your thoughts on Houston's tech ecosystem, you know, the future moving forward. I mean, it sounds like from some of the conversations you're having, you know, these startups around the around the nation, around the world are saying, and yeah, we need to get to Houston at some point. I mean, are you bullish on Houston tech ecosystem over the next 10 or 15 years? For sure. I think Houston is a is a sleeping giant. Um, I think that there is a, a ton of the ingredients here within striking distance of the city mm-hmm. to, to, to really have that impact. So it's it's really just a matter of are we able to kind of bring those resources to bear and sort of demonstrate that? And I think we're, we're seeing that and feeling that, you know, there's, uh, I actually heard it termed today, kind of venture capital 3.0 is starting to take shape now. And I think sort of catalyzed by COVID and what that looks like. Mm-hmm. And, and an, an interesting component of that is the, the, 
the involvement of corporations in kind of a unique way. And that's where I think the, the timing of Halliburton Labs is right in, in the sense that the kinds of problems that, are, that need to be solved in energy are not easy problems. And it requires a depth of technical understanding mm-hmm. and knowledge and applying that at scale. And those are, those are sort of capabilities that we have. You know, and I think about sort of startup communities generally, you know, there's a lot of talk about the creative class more broadly and how, how that gets brought uh, in sort of a, an appropriately dense manner to kind of create this, this innovation environment. And I think certainly one of the underappreciated components of the creative class is engineering. And every engineering discipline and really science discipline is found here in the right amount mm-hmm. <laughs> in the Houston area. And yeah. so the access to that talent is is real. And I think I, certainly one of Houston's challenges is just it's a dispersion in terms of just where it's physically located. That's such a huge problem that people outside of Houston, uh, I mean, maybe even people in Houston, if you're not actively involved with the startup scene, don't understand is that Houston is so big geographically speaking that it's actually a barrier that, you know, there's not a central location. And I mean, it's impossible to have a central location because where's the central location? You know, if you're, if you're up in the woodlands, your central location of, you know, Houston is different than mine out in Katy, right? You know, like if I'm in Katy, I like driving out to city center. I don't like, you know, driving out (laughs) to downtown where, you know, exactly where my office is currently and I, I hate driving to downtown. So it really actually becomes that provides or not provides, but it makes some barriers to really getting this, um, ecosystem thriving, you know, it's kind of I, a bit of a bigger hurdle to over you, you've got, yeah. you've, you've got a, uh, sort of a, a, achieving critical mass is going to look and feel different because of that dispersion. Problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I think that's, what's encouraging what's happening. I think, uh, there was, a a statistic uh, that was shared with me that in 2015, there were five startup development organizations in and around the Houston area. Yeah. And that Halliburton Labs was the 38th. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, I think Houston Exponential told us that there's 35 plus now yep. in Houston. And that when you look at sort of where they're located around the city, there's there really is kind of this constellation of support network around. Mm -hmm. And, and I think that's important. And I think, you know, there's, there's some conversations about Halliburton labs being located on the North part of town up by Bush airport. Mm -hmm. Well, we're the only startup development organization within a a, a meaningful radius in that space. And and really that's one of the things that I think Houston is going to have to kind of sort out and work, work through is that there's, there's going to be these great kind of anchor stores around the city. Yeah. But the potential is, is unbelievable. I think that there's, there's certainly is not only Houston on sort of the radar of the startup community more broadly, particularly those focused on energy, um, which is the focus of our chat, but you know, let's not forget that there's medical and space tech and there's a lot of other things that are sort of out there that are a draw to Houston, but the venture capital community is thinking in the same way. Yeah. So I think we really are sort of right at kind of the cusp of the next five years is going to be really fascinating to see where the city of Houston goes. And I think that there there's a lot of the right components there, a lot of the right discussion and solving for the right things. Yeah. And so 
I'm just thrilled to be in the middle of it and, yeah. and playing a role. It's exciting. You know, I've, I've had several conversations with VCs, founders, and, you know, talk about the, the future of energy tech and the future of Houston. And I think if you start looking out, you know, 15, 20 years from now, it's going to look completely different. And we're going to remember these days, you know, as the early days where there were handfuls, you know, just handful of us building things to support the ecosystem. Um, you mentioned VCs just a second ago. How do you guys inter interface with VCs? Because I'm sure VCs are coming to you guys interested in the portfolio companies that you have. I mean, is this something, you know, you're introducing um, startups to, you know, if you have a startup in your portfolio in Halliburton Labs, are you introducing them to VCs and capital providers, you know, in, in hopes of funding? How do you guys treat those relationships? Yeah, the investment community is a critical pillar in terms of what we're solving for and, and trying to build. Um, it's a critical component for the success of a startup. So we are working through a, a couple of different things. We're investigating a number of different models around how that might might look. But uh, I would say for for us, we're a bit agnostic. There's There's so many kind of VC investment mandates that are out there that have overlap and, and uh, alignment with what we're trying to solve for with Halliburton Labs. Um, and, and so having and providing that, that access and visibility into that deal flow and other things I think is really important. The conversations that we've had with a number of VCs, not only in the area, but uh, around the country, is there's, they see Halliburton Labs as a de-risking element for a potential investment. Mm -hmm. And, and so whether that's, introducing uh, folks that, that we're connected with on, in the startup world to potential VCs or even VCs looking at their portfolio companies and saying, we'd actually love to have our portfolio company come and be a participant of Halliburton Labs. We think that they would benefit from that. Yeah. Um, there's there's a, a, a number of things that we're continuing to work on and, and extend that, that network. Cool. Yeah. What is success look like for Halliburton Labs to you? Sure. That's a great question. It's uh, for us, you know, there's like we talked about sort of the, the future of energy is going to be different mm -hmm. than what it is today. So that's changing. It's evolving. We're in the midst of this kind of energy refresh. Yeah. I'm just thinking from the listener's perspective of like, you know, them thinking, why is Halliburton getting into this space? Yeah, exactly. Right? You know, and like exactly. and really what, like if you're going to the board, right? I mean, you're, you're the head man for Halliburton Labs and you're having to defend this. How is it successful and how is it not? You sure. know, the the thing pretty simply is without Halliburton Labs, through the course of our run rate business, we're not having the conversations or the connections with sort of the 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 front line of that evolution and that change. Mm -hmm. So because of that, we 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 would not have visibility. Yeah, and so. What Halliburton Labs does for Halliburton, and one of the things that, that we're solving for is we get a front row seat in watching the development and watching this this evolution take place. And yeah, it really gives you the ability to be involved and interface with these innovative technologies at an early stage where you wouldn't get the opportunity to do that just through Halliburton's um, traditional business units. That's right. That's right. And so it, it's it's additive to what we're doing at mm -hmm. Halliburton. It's, it's it's looking at um, and looking at things that we would not otherwise sort of run into. And so if you think about it sort of five years from now, 
if we're successful in hosting something between 12 and 15 companies a year, which is our target, we will have spent a year with 75 different companies mm-hmm. across a very broad landscape of applications and and doing so in a way that creates a unique environment. It's a collaborative environment. And it's one that's focused on, I think, the right things in terms of solving for the entrepreneur. And, and by doing so, we get uh, just a better view of, of, of what's taking place and ultimately de-risks our strategic decisions down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so for me, the very simple with that backdrop, the answer to the question to me is, is reputation success for Halliburton labs is the reputation of being a place where a startup can come and have a successful experience. However they define that, whether that's, they, learn something unique about how they're going to scale their technology, whether they met someone that led their series a, Mm -hmm. whether they found a new employee that's now a rock star, that's going to go do some things for them that, that having that reputation as the go-to place for advancing cleaner, affordable energy, that's what we're solving for. What would you say to those startup founders that they listen to this and they're like, this sounds great. You know, I think, and I think it's clear as today, clear as day to us. I can't talk today, uh, what the value proposition is, but to those founders who would, who would hear this and say, well, I'm worried about working with Halliburton, right? I'm worried about them taking our idea and stealing it or something. I could see that being the biggest objection that they potentially have. Yeah. Everyone well, says that about Jeff Bezos and AWS, yeah, yeah. you know, with all their incubators that there's a, always a lot of talk that, AWS, you know, cuts checks and incubates these companies and then rips off technology, which, you know, that's Jeff Bezos style. They've done that for a long time, so that's expected. But no, it's, a, it's an important sort of uh, point of skepticism that, that we run into in terms of, I mean, Halliburton operates in a very competitive oil field services landscape. And so our, our thinking around IP uh, is is established based on that, and that's that's something that we recognize as we're building Halliburton Labs. That we there's 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 benefits to having the the Halliburton name in terms of credibility and what that means, and it's something that we've deliberately solved for in creating as low friction of an environment mm-hmm. as possible. And so uh, I I have every conversation that I've had with a founder there's always some question in that. And mm-hmm. within 30 minutes, they're totally fine. They understand yeah. it. They see the agreement, they look at it and it's yeah. like, okay, uh, this is, this is a, a risk worth taking. Yeah. And it's important because when they're done and, and they've, they've graduated from Halliburton labs, investability in that company is, is critical. They need to be able to go get the next round of funding, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And so having some type of entanglement with Halliburton, is going to diminish that. And so yeah. we, we have, we've got kind of the basic things we're asking for. Um, again, it's not altruism. Um, there's, there's things that, that we're asking for in this, but it's, uh, it's something that we, we do recognize that, that that's the case and have spent a lot of time, uh, working through that and solving for that and thinking about what that means. Um, I mean, we talked about, you know, one of the, uh, Halliburton labs participant, they get a badge. They get access to campus. They get access to the campus facilities. You get to go to the cafeteria, the cafeteria gyms. And gym. It's a really nice gym, by the way. Yeah, they're <laughs> working out all day and eating and, and maybe so, creating some stuff every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. And so those, those, 
I think of it as curating collisions. You know, we, mm-hmm. we want them to sort of run into and meet people not only in Halliburton, but also in the, the broader community. Mm-hmm. And so all of that is really important. And so it's one of the critical components of building a successful startup community is a network of trust. Mm-hmm. And, and to me, that's, that's, that certainly is built over time. So that's why I really focus on that reputation. We've got to earn that. We've got to prove that mm-hmm. I can say that here all day long, but until we have founders that have graduated and sort of yep. come through. And so, uh, those that are really skeptical and that I can't sort of like turn, then, uh, I go have them call the CEO of nanotech and yeah. <laughs> then that, that sets them straight. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, someone's listening to this and they're interested in Halliburton labs. What is the process? You know, I know you guys, um, got your, your website launched with your application on there, but what is the actual application process? Um, you know, is it a series of interviews, you know, things of that nature? How long does it take? I mean, I know these are, you guys are in the early stage of this, so you probably don't you know, have a good, good uh handle on your timing yet but sure you know explain that a little bit yeah i mean we've got our plan but you know as they say the first casualty of war is the plan yeah but, uh, <laughs> we're the application form is live now so you can go to halliburtonlabs.com and click apply and it'll take you through that form uh it's a relatively extensive application and so uh you're probably not going to be able to complete it in a single sitting but it, you can save it and come back to it that's not a that's not an issue that process will actually stay live into early november so we're about another kind of 10 days mm-hmm. um and the from there in fact was just reviewing some of the applications we're averaging about an application a day and so we're going through and kind of reviewing what those look like and we kind of sort them and then uh, certainly do kind of our next wave of diligence and which in, includes some reference checks and interviews and sort of just fact checking and some yeah. some other things. And that all of that culminates in a finalist day. And so we'll invite six to eight companies to come and pitch and we'll invite kind of our extended network to come and and watch and uh and judge and kind of score those companies and then we'll pick three to five to to be kind of the first cohort so Mm -hmm. the goal really through that application process is to to um, have a successful finalist day yeah we think that's really compelling to even uh pitch on our finalist day because we would like to think there'll be kind of a, a, a really good mix of, of folks in the, the, the startup community mm-hmm. and uh, anticipate that maybe even if they're not selected, that they might Meet get on the radar yeah. of, of, uh, of somebody that'll, that'll impact the trajectory of mm-hmm. their company. And then timing really matters, honestly. Um, and so some, some applicants just aren't ready. They need another six months, which is an eternity. There's a lot that they'll be able to kind of sort out. And so that's why one of the reasons why we plan to run three cohorts a year. So we'll do that every four months. And that, that ensures that we're able to match up with, with timing more effectively. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, if, if someone wants to apply, what is the URL to Halliburton labs? Is it HalliburtonLabs.com? That's it. Perfect, man. I'm like a genius over here. <laughs> so how the apply button is pretty obvious. It's pretty <laughs> easy to track now. Cool. So but lots of information on there. There's FAQ on the website. And awesome. so there you can go through awesome. that. So check out the website for more information and we'll drop a link in the uh, show notes. And then uh, we'll drop a link to Scott's LinkedIn too. So you can bug him over there and send him <laughs> messages and reach out to him. Scott, appreciate you coming on the show, man. It was a pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. 
Halliburton Labs, official apparel sponsor of Colin McClellan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, if you enjoyed the episode, take two seconds, share with your friends. Uh, you know we have a Roundup newsletter. goes out every single week. Scott said it's his favorite. Uh, so go check that out. Uh, we got memes in there. We've got content. We've got oil news, clean tech news, you name it. A uh, whole bunch of fun stuff. So go check it out. Catch you guys in the next episode. Come, 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 come.